0: ...in the last three weeks in Advent, looking at the account in um, Matthew's Gospel of the three Magi, or rather the Magi, who bore with them three gifts to bring to the newborn Jesus, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And each week, we've had, I think, some some excellent um, exposition of the meaning of those gifts, gold for a king frankincense for a priest and myrrh speaking about jesus's death and sacrifice but in reading that story it it can be a little bit easy to miss that the first priority of those magi was to worship him they came to jerusalem um, and asked around where is this one we're looking for this one born a king we've come to worship him. And actually when you read the account in Matthew of them arriving and finding Jesus, they worshipped him first. And then gave the gifts. So in the last three weeks, we, it, it's been excellent, but it can be easy to lose the focus about worship and adoration. Now adoration is not a word we use too much, uh, really. It's actually not a biblical word, at least in the way it's translated in English, with, with one exception. So we're really talking about worship this morning. But just as a little sort of word association game, here's what I want you to do. Um, You're going to have to be prepared to talk to the person next to you. Um, Adoration, adore, and adorable. I want you to think, what's the first thing that comes into your mind when I say adorable and tell the person next to you? What is it that's adorable? (laughs) Obviously something funny. So what's adorable? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? Well, the first repeatable thing that comes into your mind. Okay, well, I, of course, went to the final arbiter of what's popular and what's true, that is Google, and uh, typed the word adorable into Google Images to see what what the pictures would be of. Um, Okay, anybody have a fluffy animal in the first thing that came into... (laughs) Because of the first ten things that came up on Google Images, nine of them were fluffy animals. Okay, so there you go. Fluffy animals, baby animals particularly, are particularly, particularly high ranking. So well, put your hands up if you had a baby animal of some sort, or a cute animal. You're, you're, you're in tune with what's on the street then. Excellent. Okay, um, there you go. There's, there's, there's another one. Actually, I'm not quite sure that the owner of this particular example thought it was adorable, because it looks like they've tried to bury it in a pile of <laughs> polystyrene. But anyway, um, <clears throat> lots of things like that. I omitted to put up any pictures of dogs and cats wearing ribbons. I do have problems with that. Uh, so yeah, uh, so do I, Richard. Yeah, there you go. So, okay, chocolate. Anybody mentioned chocolate? Uh, actually, the number one, the first thing was a chocolate cookie uh, that came up when I looked in. Google. so there. Anybody? No one had chocolate. It's quite surprising, or any chocolate-based product. No. Okay, and um, a baby. Ah, yes. Sorry, your grandchildren. Yeah, yes. A, a babies in general, or a specific baby? That, that's that's very good, and quite right, of course. We'll come back to a minute. But adorable, we tend to associate with those sorts of things. I don't know. So, it wasn't me pressing it that was doing it, Andy. No. <laughs> ah, you need the dongle. Wonderful. Now the dongle's in. It's. I, don't, I was just mining. That's really. Good job I did it with a dramatic sort of press. You watched very closely. Fantastic. Okay, let's see if it really works. So, let's let's at least look at what the word means. It means um, to adore, adoration means to. Regard someone or something with a deep love. It really gets you. Or it can also mean to fill yourself with love for, almost with an obsessional sort of quality about it. To fill yourself with love and regard for someone and something. So it becomes the focus of your being at that moment. But actually the word in English also means simply to worship God. And I really want to just look at those, those two or three things. Um, to, to worship as God is a word adoration, it's actually not it's something that's very strong in, in Catholic and Orthodox theology and perhaps we sort of miss out on that a little bit and perhaps we ought to redress a balance that adoration as well as worship our worship is so multifaceted it has a, elements of speaking truth and declaring loyalty and declaring praises but to fill yourself with love for and regard for I think we can be a bit missing out on that. Devotion, adoration. Now, um, let's go back to common things that end up being adored. You see, I think the truth is, one of the things that marks humans out is they worship. Worship's a strange phenomenon, but it's to... Have regard for and put worth towards and love something other than something outside of yourself. And we were made for worship. In one sense, what you worship or idolise defines you. That's either a good thing or a slightly scary thing. But think about it. What we worship, what we adore, what we put real value on defines us. So we're going to look at Some things that are adored, um, and the first two don't quite match up to worshipping as God. Here's the first one. Self-love. Okay? Okay. The Stone Roses had a song in the late 80s called, I Want to Be Adored. Anyone remember that? Probably not. It's one of those songs, that the words just kept repeating, I want to be adored. Have you ever listened to songs on the radio and sort of misheard the lyrics? For years I thought it was saying, I want to be a dog. But, <laughs> but uh, Anyway, there you go. Uh, <coughs> that's just me. Um, I want to be adored. And it's easy, if not to worship anything else, to have so much regard for yourself that it ends up as... Adoration of self. The truth is, and of course worship always has, and is always a mixture of truth and lie. The truth is we are made in the image of God. That's true. But we're not God to be worshipped. So the truth is I am made in the image of God. The problem is I'm not God. Selfish and vanity conceit are things that in general most of us find quite obnoxious really and so does God. Um, before we get too Judgmental, though. I found this great article by a psychologist uh, called Hotchkiss who called it The Seven Deadly Sins of Narcissism. Here you go. Before we get too critical of other people, let's see if there are any ouches here if I read them out. Okay? Shamelessness. Acting as if you're the most important thing in the person in the world. Ouch. Seeing yourself as perfect. Mm -hmm. Arrogance, thinking that you're the special one, (laughs) hence the picture of uh, a previous Chelsea manager. I am the special one. I never worked out whether that was irony or not, but anyway. Um, Envy of others. Entitlement, just thinking you're so special that you deserve everything that you get. Exploiting others and not having clear boundaries, just... Not aware of others at all. None of us would do any of those things at all. So self-love is adoration gone slightly wrong. It's turned back in on yourselves. Okay, we'll get to some positive stuff in a minute. Here's another one. Idolatry is worshipping something that's created rather than worshipping the God who made it. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but just think for 30 seconds. What's idolised in our culture? Very easy to point to other cultures and see it. But what's idolized in the world that we inhabit? What is it that people worship as if it's God? Just pause for a second. It's quite easy to spot where adoration goes wrong. Getting closer, adoring another. whether that's your partner, your child, your parent, your grandchild. We were made for a relationship and we're made in the image of God. And the Godhead, the mystery of Trinity is three persons, each affirming and adoring each other. So it's right, actually, that there are special people. Please, this Christmas, don't miss out. On saying to those that you adore that you love them. Parents, speak it to your children. Husbands, if you adore your wife, and I hope you do, say so. If you have grandchildren that you find adorable, tell them. Let's not miss out at Christmas, a time that's so full of relationship, of doing the right thing. In fact, the only Bible verse about adoration is in the context of relationship. It comes in the Song of Solomon. Um, And a very, very proud man says, very proud in the right sense, says, how right you are to adore this bride of mine to anybody who's listening. She's wonderful. For the wonderful people in our lives, let's say so this Christmas. I'll be afraid to say so. It's good, isn't it? So getting closer to home... But let's look at our Bible readings today and look at three groups of people who ended up adoring Christ Jesus. Of course, um, there were no photographers in those days, so we have to rely on Renaissance and Baroque paintings to sort of... um, When was the last sermon you had a picture of a Jose Marino and a piece of Renaissance art in the same sermon? But there we go. (laughs) This is in King's College Chapel in Cambridge where they sing a carol service three o'clock every Christmas Eve afternoon this is called the adoration of the magi the adoration of the magi and it shows the magi, these travellers from the east, these wise men adoring this child you see they sought and sought, they followed the clues they got hints Their learning and their understanding pointed to a reality bigger and more important than the world they lived in. So they got up and went and followed. And followed the signs, followed the star until they found it. And they found a little baby. They were expecting that, incidentally. Because they said to Herod, where is this child born to be a king? The point I want to make is that they sought and were satisfied. There's something about adoring Christ that satisfies us. We're going to go back and worship a little bit later. But there's something about adoration that puts worship and adoration, which comes to us quite easily, in its right perspective and is satisfying. Worshipping yourself doesn't ultimately satisfy. Worshipping an idol doesn't deliver the goods. It doesn't bring satisfaction of soul. Worshipping Christ brings satisfaction. They found truly what they were looking for and went off again rejoicing. I believe God wants to encourage us again this morning that in worshipping and worship takes all, it's not just singing songs, whatever manifestation, worship comes to you most easily worship brings a satisfaction to our souls because it's putting that which we were made for, worship, back into its right place they sought and sought and sought and God loves people who seek him and keep seeking him Secondly, we read about, well you didn't, I'm about to read, about two people who very briefly mentioned in the story of Jesus' birth and often missed. Eight days after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple in Jerusalem to be circumcised and for him to be named. And in Matthew, Luke's Gospel we're told when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus because that was the name the angel had given him before he was conceived Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Fancy living with that. Fancy! I don't know that he told anyone. It was probably a secret. The fancy living, knowing he was going to see the Messiah, the Lord's Christ, before he died. Gosh! And it was an old—he was an old man when that came to pass. If God's spoken clear, prophetic words over you, keep hold of them. Keep hold of them. Keep hold of them. Keep living them. Keep. Keep hold of them until he brings to pass what he said. Anyway, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court that day. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant, that's himself, in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. I think he saw a lot. We miss that. He didn't just see that Jesus Christ came to his people, the Jews. He says here, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Somehow the Holy Spirit seemed to reveal to this godly man something of God's plan and destiny. Fantastic. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Fancy being told that eight days after you've had a baby, that this baby will bring you pain and suffering as well. Just imagine... Mary having to bear that in her soul and remember that through his life until when he was crucified, and that came to pass. There was also a prophetess, Anna. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This painting uh, is called The Adoration of Simeon and Anna. And they'd been waiting and waiting. They hadn't been seeking. They knew what they were waiting for. They waited and waited and waited. And in a moment, one day, all that they were waiting for Came to pass. Their waiting was fulfilled in seeing Christ and they adored him and worshipped him. Having done that just once, Simeon said, God, you can take me now. It's fulfilled. You can take me now. I've seen it. And maybe. Some of us are waiting and waiting and waiting for God to fulfill what he's said. Keep waiting. Keep waiting. But God, in an instant, can fulfill his promise to us. But in the meantime, let's keep worshipping and adoring. Because when the focus is there, fulfillment comes. Now... the shepherds weren't even looking. I don't suspect. I suspect they were rather surprised when some angels turned up, as we heard in the reading. They weren't really looking for that. It was just another night out on the hill. And suddenly, heaven opens up. A chorus of angels singing. I think I'd have paid attention if that had happened. And so they got down to Bethlehem to see this thing. They weren't looking for Jesus Christ. They weren't searching like the Magi. They weren't waiting like Simeon and Anna. They didn't appear to have any pre-idea that anything was going to happen, particularly they were lowly people, rough workers. And yet God brought them to encounter Jesus Christ, soon after his birth. And they went away, it says, rejoicing, praising, adoring what they'd seen. In adoration and worship, God raises the lowly. See, if it really is true that we were made to worship, if it really is true that worshipping Jesus Christ puts everything in perspective. Then we get back on track to where we should be and God made us to be. It's fulfilling. And God lifts up the lowly. And one of the keys to that is focus around Christ. The lowly he seats on high, it says in Job, and those who mourn are lifted And if we feel beaten down and lowly without being trite, taking the focus off of the situation and putting the focus on Jesus Christ lifts us in our spirit. This Christmas, let's not lose out on focusing again around Jesus Christ. Because he lifts the lowly. I'm amazed that the shepherds could go out rejoicing having just seen a baby. I mean, it's very difficult to imagine walking into wherever he was born and seeing a baby. But somehow they must have seen beyond that. And whether the angels accompanied them as, as well, we don't know. There's no angels in the picture. I doubt the baby was quite as luminous as that. The <laughs> problem is with uh, manger scenes in Baroque and Renaissance art, the baby does seem to be glowing rather. I don't think that was the case. The glory of the Lord shone around in the heavens with the angels and massed choirs singing. I suspect the baby looked like a baby. And yet somehow, encountering Jesus Christ, even in his few hours old, whatever that is, they turned and went on their way rejoicing. And an encounter with Jesus Christ of worship and adoration changes us, changes perspective. And we'll worship again in a minute. So here we go. The reading we had at the end, afterwards, sung of John one, puts in perspective this centrality of Jesus Christ and why he's worth adoring, why he's worth worshipping the magi Simeon and Anna and particularly the shepherds may not have had a full understanding of everything that Jesus Christ was in being born but John as an old man in writing the prologue to his account of Jesus' life in John's gospel reflects in John 1 this magnificent passage, go and read it again John 1 verses 1 to 14, reflects philosophically just who it was and who it is that we're talking about here. Jesus is worth adoring because he is the central focus of all things. If we're made for worship, it's for him alone that we're made for. In the beginning was the word, says John, and if you were a Hebrew, you'd just understand that to mean he was God. But if you were a Greek, that word logos means it means more than life force. It means the whole sort of rational ruling principle of the whole universe. Everything fits together around the word to a Greek thinker. And of course John wrote in Greek. Many readers reading us will understand that we're talking here not just about a God. We're talking about the person, the thing that organises and holds together. And ref- everything else in the whole universe points to and refers to. He's worth adoring. The governing principle of the universe in whom everything else finds its place. An adoration of Jesus Christ is the way in which us as people find our place. It's what we were made for. The creator, John says, in the beginning was the word, through him all things were made. Our worship can easily go off onto worshipping things that were made rather than the one who made them. But adoration of Jesus Christ brings a focus of worship to where it's truly deserving. He's the source of life. In him was life and that life was the light of man. When stuff seems dark, that is confusing, not knowing what's going on and why. Darkness is dispelled by light. It doesn't take a lot of light to dispel the darkness. Darkness is just simply the absence of light. And confusion comes when there's no clarity or mixed messages or all sorts of stuff going on. But a focus around Jesus Christ brings light, brings everything, because he's the word, it brings everything else back into perspective. And when our lives get out of perspective, and in the business of Christmas that can happen quite easily, a focus around Jesus Christ brings everything back into its rightful place. To all who received him, John says, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, reconciled with the living God, back home, rightly relating to the God who made us. A focus around Jesus Christ, adoration, worship around him brings us back into right relationship with him, with God the Father. I believe God wants to put some of that right this morning. As we worship, one two people who feel, just I don't know, distanced from God. Going through the motions maybe, feeling like, I understand about Jesus, I understand the gospel, but I don't feel it in my heart. I understand it with my head, but I don't feel it in my heart. I believe God wants to, as we respond in worship in a minute wants to put that right. In Romans it says, God has poured out his love by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And as we worship, believe God can put right any sense of distance between us and him. God wants to do that this morning. Best of all, God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. The word became flesh. This organizing principle, this person within the whole, all, whole universe, the whole show hangs together, became like you and me. Just like you and me. And made his dwelling among us. To a Jew, it's almost like he tabernacled among us, he hung out with us. He hung out on planet Earth, knowing what it's like to be us. I believe a right relationship with Christ and adoring him actually makes us more human because he himself is human. Worshipping him as the perfect man actually restores our humanity and makes us more like we should be. To go into that. And I love this phrase. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, or at least John had, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And grace is God's unmerited favour to us. Unmerited, undeserved, he loves us. And accessed through a focus around adoring Christ. In adoring Jesus, everything else takes his focus, finds its place, comes into perspective. It makes us fully human. It's what we were made for. It puts everything else in our lives in its right place. It enables us to love one another as we should. All of those things. Let's worship Christ again. Let's worship Christ again, just for a few minutes. Let's worship again. Sing songs. Songs are great, but it's the words in our heart that God really sees. I believe as we give ourselves to worship Him again, as we give ourselves to adoration, as we get a glimpse again of what it was that the shepherds saw, as what it was that the magi were seeking, and what it was that Simeon and And we're waiting for, as we glimpse again the Christ, God made man. Everything else in our lives begins to get into right place. God wants to do that for some people this morning.